Welcome to Brain Buzz, the podcast that makes science accessible and engaging for everyone. On today's episode, we had Tiana Sharifi, the founder of Sexual Exploitation Education on. She does some amazing work on sexual exploitation and human trafficking in Canada, uh, specifically in the greater Vancouver region, but she's an educator across across Canada. Uh, today's topic is, uh, spoiler alert, it is a little sensitive uh, and it is a really important topic that we thought would be amazing to have on and have an expert on to talk about the, the far-reaching implications of uh, sexual exploitation and human trafficking in our own backyards. So we hope that it brings uh, to light some things that you don't really think about or talk about and or you don't hear about in, uh, in pop culture. So please enjoy the episode. We had an amazing time with Tiana and we are sure you'll have a good time listening. Friends, colleagues, and first-time listeners, welcome to another episode of Brain Buzz. We are your hosts, I'm Kyle. And I'm Drake. And today we are delighted to be joined by founder and owner of Sexual Exploitation Education, a Vancouver-based organization focusing on awareness and education about sexual exploitation, and consultant specializing in helping organizations develop sexual exploitation policies, Tiana Sharifi. Tiana, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Tiana. We, we're really excited to have this uh, this episode out because uh, we we actually got you on in a non-conventional way for us. Your sister actually reached out to us. She's a, she's a listener. So it's confirmed, you guys, if you're listening right now, you're not the only listener out there. This is exciting. Um, but uh, you reached out uh, through your sister and your sister connected with me. And then we, we got you on because your work is amazing. It's really cool and really impactful and something we haven't talked about or even remotely breached in our in our our episodes uh, up until now. So Tiana, you do work in sexual exploitation and human trafficking. Do you want to just give us an idea of what the scope of this is or what are you maybe just defining what what sexual exploitation is? Yeah, and I think to do that I have to take a step back and define human trafficking because I think mm-hmm. um, a lot of us understand what that term is. So um, human trafficking is essentially modern day slavery. Um, And a lot of times when we think about modern day slavery, we think about labor trafficking. Um, But in fact, about 75% of the world's human trafficking is sexual exploitation. Um, So when it comes to human trafficking, you're actually looking at somebody being controlled by another person for the purpose of exploiting them. And so it actually does not involve crossing borders like we think human smuggling um, or when you watch the movie Taken with Liam Neeson. And um, Mm. it's more about being controlled. So you can be human trafficked in your own backyard, um, in your own home, as long as somebody is influencing or controlling your movements and actions for the purpose of exploitation. And so then sexual exploitation um, is anybody under the age of 18 who's exchanging a sexual act for anything in return. Um, And the reason this falls under human trafficking is because there's a coercion aspect to it. So what we see is that a child or youth has a particular need, um, whether it's love, acceptance, safety, or drugs, money, shelter, and uh, they feel coerced to exchange a sexual act of theirs in order to get that need met. Um, And the person who is uh, sexually exploiting them is called an exploiter or essentially a predator. Right. And so... That's actually a really good point because uh, honestly, my my head whenever I was thinking about our episode today kind of did go to sadly to the movie Taken, right? And the, and the idea is like, I, I think it's kind of in our heads and this happens, I'm sure with a lot of topics is that it's it's something that happens overseas or, you know, in different countries more and it's not necessarily something that's going on within our country. Um, but like, like you said, the case is actually that this happens a lot and it's more likely to happen within your own country in your own backyard. 
Definitely. Yeah. And I, I think that there are these natural misconceptions, even about victims, like what victims look like, that they're immigrants or they're um, in poverty. Um, but yeah, the reality is that it, it's the average looking person who's victimized and the average looking person who's offender. So. Absolutely. And so Tiana, what kind of, what kind of exploitation, like what, what, what is going on with exploitation, with sexual exploitation? What are the most frequently like, um, what are the things that happen most like most often whenever it comes to sexual exploitation? Like, what are they doing? What are people doing specifically to the ones that are being exploited? Yeah. So, I mean, when we look at the term sexual exploitation, uh, there's a range, right? Because if you're exchanging a sexual act for anything, um, sexual exploitation can look like youth issues where, you know, there's teen relationships and one party feels the pressure to you know, do a sexual act that they're not comfortable with in order to get love. Or you go to a party and you feel like you have to hook up with a person who's hosting the party because you want to be popular. Um, and then it can range to the extreme where it's, um, you know, human traffickers and pimps who are grooming children and youth into prostitution, um, which we call human trafficking because children can't prostitute themselves. Um, so when it comes to grooming with these human traffickers, essentially what they're doing is they're posing as a boyfriend or a friend. And uh, they're targeting these kids. Mostly it's now online as that first form of contact is online. And uh, they start to form a relationship with that kid. So if they're pretending to be a boyfriend, which is about, you know, more than 50% of the time, that's what's happening. Um, they form a relationship with that youth. They um, gift that youth a lot of things. They provide them this idea of a lifestyle that they can have together. And um, they isolate them from their friends and their family. And they start to introduce them more to a party lifestyle and living in downtown and um, just like a, a glamorous image of what any teen would really want. And then down the road, they use any kind of debt that was used against them and, and love and everything really to isolate um, and then coerce that youth into exchanging a sexual act for money. Um, and it can be something as, you know, as, as discreet as saying, you know, babe, like I've spent all this money, like I'm, I'm having a little bit of a hard time right now. I have a friend here and, you know, he, he's willing to pay for a date with you. Um, and that's kind of how it starts off there. Or you have pimps who are um, using females to recruit other females. And so these females, they, they show these other girls like, hey, this is a lifestyle that I, can, I have and you can have this exact same lifestyle. Let me show you to a friend of mine who can hook you up. Yeah, it's scary. The, the scope of it is, I, is just it's a lot. It's scary to think about. I think is like you know the ways that people can kind of be persuaded and convinced to do things because they owe someone. Yeah. You know, and especially coming from, I think a really interesting point that you're talking about is boyfriends or significant others as the gateway into that. Um, and you know, like they are coming from a position where they're trying to get your you know trust and and trying to be like you know. A significant other that you can you can rely on and then using that trust against them um it's quite scary is is this often something that happens you know before the age of 18 that this is like the most of the work like what you're seeing in the sexual exploitation uh work yeah definitely um it is a lot of victims are under the age of 18 more, more most of them are under the age of 25 um, but a lot of them are under the age of 18 and, and the reason for that really at the end of the day is that unfortunately um teens and, and, and kids, they don't have the resources that a lot of adults have, right? So um, one of the warning signs actually of, of an exploiter is someone who's only a few years older. Because if you think about it, so if I'm, if I'm starting to date somebody and um, they start to buy me things and they have access to a car and um, ID for alcohol, well, it doesn't make a difference because 
I can also have access to those same things. Um, mm-hmm. So it doesn't create a power imbalance. But with kids and teens, it's very easy to create a power imbalance, you know, with someone who's under 18 because they don't have education. They don't have the work experience. They don't have um, access to money to afford certain things that they might want, like getting their hair done and their nails done and, you know, like the, the Instagram model image and, and whatnot. So it's very easy to prey on them. Yeah, definitely. One thing you mentioned earlier is um, that sometimes these can occur within within age groups. So you said, you know, a teen going to a party and maybe feeling obligated to hook up with the host of that party. How does that power imbalance play out in relationships where they're peers in terms of age, at least? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, there is. So peer exploitation is a thing. And that's something that we're, we're seeing a lot right now. I mean, one third of sexual ex, uh, sexual offenses against youth are committed by another youth. Um, so that, that's actually what, what we do see. And um, the power imbalances, again, it, it just comes down to we all have needs. Um, and especially when you're a teen, think about, you know, self-esteem and um, and just the bubble that you that you live in. And I think that really gets exploited um, that the sense of um, wanting to be accepted, especially with social media now and, and pressures, you know, to sext and, and all those things. Um, so we definitely see even a power imbalance just within age groups, right? You have the grade 12s host a party and they invite the grade eights or grade nines. And obviously when you're a grade eight or grade nine, you're going to want to fit in and you don't know what's acceptable and what's not. And so it's very easy to um, to mis- misuse that, uh, that naivety. So yeah, yeah, certainly. Absolutely. I think that's a really good like kind of segue into what the way I've been thinking about it at least. And, and that's something that I thought as well is in, high school is in that age group specifically is a very unique age group where there's a lot of transitions. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, you know, you want to fit in. There's self-esteem is a big part of that, that, you know, finding yourself, knowing where you're going and you can you're really susceptible to influence uh, and, and, uh, and people that might be, you know, a little bit more experienced in whatever avenue you're in with that. I think of uh, that age gap that we've set up in our in our laws where, you know, there's a certain at a certain age, you're now an adult. First off, could you explain those rules? Because I, I feel like we've had this conversation before, you know, what's legal, what's not legal, because you can have, you know, a graduate hanging out with the grade 11 or 12. But now if they were dating before, there's, you know, there's a lot of ambiguity with that. Could you explain that so we can kind of figure out what's actually, you know, child predator versus just pure predator uh, interactions? Such a good question. And yeah, it's 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 really funny. So um, the law used to be um, that you, uh, it's called the age of protection or age of consent. And it used to be 14. Um, now they recently changed it to 16. But essentially what that means is that at the age of 16 or older, you can consent to having sexual activity with anybody of any age. Um, so 16-year-old technically could sleep with a 7-year-old. It's gross, but legally it can happen. Don't know why that is. Um, I personally don't agree with that. Um, but that being said, um, there are close in age exceptions. So the law recognizes okay, we want to keep kids safe, but we also want to make sure that we're not criminalizing teen relationships. So there are close in age exceptions. So 12 to 13 year olds can consent to somebody who's up to two years of age older than them with sexual activity. Um, and then if you're 14 and 15, you can consent to someone who's up to five years of age older than you. And so it kind of works vice versa. So if you're um, 17, legally, you cannot have sexual relations with someone who's 13 or 12 years old. Um, So that's kind of how you you think about it. Now, that being said, so the age of consent is 16. But if you're under the age of 18, it counts as sexual exploitation is if there is the exchange of a sexual act for something in return or somebody is in a position of trust or authority. Mm. So I don't know if that makes sense, but... 
Yeah, no, that, yeah. That, that makes sense for sure. Like, I think, uh, you know, and that's the, the authority is the unique thing too, where you're talking about, you know, these authority figures and where they're using that against these people to exploit them. Right. So it's, you know, you know, you could have a, maybe a tutor or like, you know, a, su a substitute teacher because substitute teachers are quite young. Like you can be a young teacher in a high school now. Uh, and so that's also a really unique area that has been got a lot of publicity, especially in America about, you know, young uh, teachers and, and and how they're interacting with their their grade 12s or grade 11s right and so that's it's really interesting to to hear from yeah. you that's the canadian laws right so we're not we're not stretching to america or other states and things like that right um, yeah i'm not sure about their age of um, age of consent laws um, but mm -hmm. but with ours it also uh, also adheres to online as well so I think a lot of people don't even think about that. You have the 14-year-olds who are talking with the 20-year-olds and being flirtatious, and they don't realize, like, nope, by law, that's actually a predator because um, that law abides to or, or, or um, makes makes sense with that uh, with the online platform as well. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because we've been speaking uh, recently with uh, several of our guests uh, to talk about um, social media use and just the way it's being used and, and the impacts on relationships and all sorts of stuff. And it's, they've been some really interesting conversations, but do you see a like a correlation or a relationship there between online use or online social media use and exploitation? Is that something that's kind of with on the radar for, for people like yourself? It is huge. <laughs> um, so over 90% of sexual exploitation is now first facilitated online. Um, and, and honestly, I think the biggest thing for me with, with the online platform is we used to say kids who are vulnerable to being sexually exploited um, worked kind of like the way that Maslow's hierarchy of needs works. So, um, you know, the concept of any kids or, or teens who lacked basic necessities like, you know, shelter um, and then moving upwards so that the, the less you have in life, the more vulnerable you are to being exploited. Now, because of online, um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs has kind of flipped backwards because people use the internet for those higher needs, right? They use the internet for things like relationships and self-esteem and love. And so if kids are all online and they have those needs and that's what they're seeking online, you have pretty much any kid is vulnerable to being exploited. And that's literally what we're seeing. I mean, we had um, Michael Bannon. He's a, a popular human trafficking case in Vancouver. And this is in 2018. And he groomed kids who were about you know, 14, 15, 16 years old across Vancouver and the lower mainland who were just average, average teens and, and they got groomed online. So, um, Tiana, can I ask a question? Where are, uh, the predators most likely to be finding and, you know, find and interacting with kids in a predatory nature? Like where are they, where is the most likely spots that kids will be exploited or, you know, taken advantage of online? Yeah, it's pretty much anywhere that kids are at. And then the more popular an app, the more, population of, of teens on a certain platform, that's where you're going to see exploiters. So even though there's a lot of apps out there right now that are popular, um, Facebook, Instagram, those seem to still be um, Snapchat. Those are still like the top um, platforms we're seeing recruitment. Um, and then, of course, you have certain apps that are promoting exploitative behaviors. Um, but I think most of the grooming is still happening on Facebook Messenger and Instagram. Is it right. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, um, this might be me misunderstanding or not knowing enough, but like, is catfishing a big part of this process and lying about your identity to get, you know, get someone comfortable with you and then proceeding? Like, what are the red flags, I guess, uh, for your people's children or just you as, as, as a regular person that you might be getting sexually exploited or there might be a chance of getting sexually exploited? Yeah, the catfishing thing. So 
what we found is that um, it's not actually lying about age. I think we all have kind of an, a, an image of, uh, you know, the, the predator online is that really old creepy guy with like, you know, Cheeto stains on his shirt and he's in his basement and like he drives a white van and he hands out candy to the kids. Um, but um, they, they don't typically lie about age, but they do lie about identity with regards to how they have a connection with that kid. So um, what we see is, you know, it's, it's not the predator who is um, saying he's actually a 15 year old girl. It's the predator who's saying, oh, I see that you like soccer. Well, I'm actually, I, I play soccer as well. And then trying to connect with the kid in that, that way. Um, right. And so these kids, I mean, they're not like, that's where like the, when the meetup happens, they're not surprised as to who they're seeing or meeting up with. It's just that person's identity is being um, misconstrued. So again, with Michael Bannon, for example, um, this, this trafficker was on Facebook and that's how he groomed his victims. He just sent out a mass message to all these teens and he essentially told them, you know, I have, um, do you want to make quick, easy cash? Or he'd say, you know, I have a model agency and you'd be an amazing model. We can take photographs of you. Um, and so the teens that were when they were communicating with him, they didn't think that he was, uh, you know, a teen, but they just thought that he was maybe like a, you know, a different type of person. Hmm. Different goals right. and different reasons to be interacting with them. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting thought because I, you know, as a millennial, I'm thinking of like just literally catfish on MTV being like, oh yeah, you're actually just like a 70 year old man when you're saying you're a 14 year old girl. That's not going to gain the trust, like you said, and like you know that that relationship is not going to be something that they can exploit if they've completely lied off the bat. They have to gain that trust from them. So that's scary and you know telling that that's what's going on. Hundred percent, and I mean that's not to say there is catfishing that happens. I mean, but it's it's not so much of like the the grooming. So like the catfishing that happens tends to be more with sextortion, where you have the predators who um, just want to get a naked photo or a video, and that's like a much quicker process, unfortunately, right. um, with certain online platforms. Um, so not to say that it doesn't happen, but with traffickers, what we see is more of that relationship building and trust, like you're you're pointing to. Yeah. Can, can we talk a little bit about the relationship now then? Because I'm, I'm really curious as to what these relationships, how they grow and like what the connection is with the, the victim and the predator um, and how long they might last. Because this, you know, this to me is scary thinking of a boyfriend, girlfriend where someone might from the offset just be like, oh, it's just a toxic relationship. You're bad for each other. Not really seeing that someone's actually exploiting the other person and using them to their advantage and, and keeping them in that relationship. So what's what do these relationships tend to look like in the work that you've been that you've been doing? Yeah. So, I mean, it can range. Um, and it, it honestly, it just depends on the youth. So if there's a youth who's harder to groom, um, it's going to take longer. It can take a few days all the way up to, you know, a year or even more than that. Um, so what we see is that that relationship starts, that person tends to be a few years older than the teens. So they're typically in their 20s um, and they form that relationship and they start to buy things for that person. Again, a lot of times it is girls that are in these relationships and being groomed. And so, um, you know, they start to pay for the nails and the hair and get them designer purses and shoes, and then slowly start to encourage them to come to parties where drugs are provided. And sometimes those drugs are laced with other drugs. Um, sometimes they're just introduced to those drugs, but it's being provided. And um, this whole time that youth has no idea that there is a debt that's being, you know, there's, there's a tab on them and they're yeah. not aware. Yeah. Um, and so at some point when that trafficker feels comfortable enough that they have enough manipulation against that youth, <clears throat> that's when they introduce the actual exploitation piece. And that can look different. It can look like harsh violence, um, you know, just, just confining someone into a room and drugging them out. And you have 
customers who are there ready to purchase children. Or it can look more like, you know, let's just put some naked pictures of you online and we can get a few hundred dollars, you know, like OnlyFans and we can just get like some money um, off of you that way and then slowly getting them um, into that situation. There's also been cases where, uh, you know, a, a boyfriend quote unquote, um, will trick a, a female into sleeping with his friend for money. But then down the road, you realize that he's actually, that was a purchaser. That was a John. And that whole session was taped. And um, if she says anything or doesn't go along with it, and that tape is going to be sent to her family and her friends. Um, so that's kind of how that, that whole thing works. And there's just so many barriers, you know, that come into place, like in terms of, um, blackmail and and you've been isolated and then it's kind of put on you like you're making the choice to sell yourself um so it's it's a whole thing yeah 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 it really is thanks <laughs> one thing i'm curious about is what is the scope of this you know it sucks because we can't measure it <laughs> this is honestly what i'm gonna say um it's bad um and yeah. i think what makes it bad honestly is the fact that it's just it's such a hidden crime um, and that's why I picked the acronym C for my agency because it's such a hidden crime. And I think what makes it so bad is that it's it's hidden. So like you have no idea about the stuff that's going on in literally every community in the Lower Mainland um, and in neighborhoods that you just would not think about. Um, and then now you have the online platform. So um, it, it is increasing as well. I think we're seeing a lot of uh, human traffic cases and sexual exploitation cases rise. I mean, CyberTip, which is Canada's national tip line, just on online exploitation, um, they had like they've just had crazy increase of reports coming in over the past ten years, and then especially over the past year because of the pandemic. Um, so we're not seeing this crime go down. I think a lot of what we do see is there's a pattern or a trend with every other crime out there where it's decreasing over time, and and with exploitation, unfortunately, it's not. Um, mm. Yeah it's, yeah, it's hard to give numbers. And I was kind of saying this uh, before we got started. It's impossible to track numbers with this issue. One, because how do you track what's happening online? Um, and two, because of the coercion that takes place, you're going to have to have victims come forward and state that they're being exploited or human trafficked. And unfortunately, a lot of victims, given the nature of exploitation, don't even understand that that's what's being done to them. So, um, you know, I can tell you, okay, we had 500 cases of human trafficking charges, but that's not even close to the reality because those are just charges of human trafficking and majority of human trafficking cases actually get charged with different charges um, because human trafficking is so difficult to, to get approved in court. So a lot of human traffickers get charged with drug crimes, for example, or assaults. Um, so it's, it's impossible to track, but I can tell you that it happens much more often than, than we think. I think the reality of that too is if there's one case, it's one too many, right? Like, yeah. so, so, you know, we're talking about, the, you're saying that we don't really know and that the prevalence rates are probably a lot higher than they ought to be, that we'd ever hope they would be. But the reality of the matter too, is that if there's one case, then, you know, there's one case too many here. Definitely. So switching tacks a little bit, um, Tiana, because I know we talked about prevention and that that's kind of the area we are focusing on. Maybe now would be a good time to talk about what we can do and the steps that we can take to help uh, prevent uh, individuals from, you know, becoming trafficked? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a loaded question because I think there's different avenues to prevention. I mean, one avenue of prevention is to, and it's, it's more impossible to target, but it's to look at societally, what are we normalizing? And I think that um, as a society, we do normalize a lot of um, exploitative behaviors and we do, um, you know, kind of 
promote it, especially with social media apps. Some apps promote, you know, the kind of exploitation um, type route um, without being too specific. Um, you know, things like OnlyFans, for example, or, um, you know, like Snapchat. Like there's just an encouragement out there for, um, you know, Instagram models even, right? There's, I think, a certain type of encouragement to sexualize and objectify women and youth. Um, so that's, you know, one way of prevention is for us to be aware of that. And then the other form of prevention is to educate teens and adults on what to look out for, um, specifically when it comes to someone who's grooming. So, um, again, you have, if, if you're a teen, um, things to look out for would be any kind of age difference with someone that you're talking with, whether it's online or in person, a guy or a girl, um, a boyfriend or a friend, if someone's a few years older than you, just looking out for that power imbalance, where is that age allowing them to have access to things that you don't have yourself. Um, and then that leads to the gifting process. So this is a huge one. Um, so being in some kind of relationship, whether it's friendship or not, with someone who's providing you gifts and especially drugs. Um, so introducing you to a party lifestyle and they just happen to be providing you with unlimited alcohol and drugs, that's definitely a form of gifting. Um, even with regards to online, if you meet someone online and they want to pay for your plane ticket to come and visit them and they'll host you in their home and they'll show you around, that's another type of gifting um, that we see. So any kind of gifting, any kind of age difference, and then last but not least would be just that isolation piece. So if someone is wanting to physically take you away from your community um, to come visit them or from your family and friends who so saying, oh, come move in with me if you want your freedom, for example, that's one mm -hmm. form. And then emotional isolation as well. So you got someone who's telling you, um, you know, like your, your friends are really immature, but you're mature for your age. So let's just hang out with my friends. Or, you know, your parents are just so strict and they don't trust you. Like, why don't you just, if you want your freedom, come live with me. So um, those are kind of the three warning signs, I would say, the age difference, gifting, and isolation to look out for. And, and teaching teens that if they do see even one red flag, just to speak to an adult about it. Because um, it, we call it grooming for a reason. That person's not going to be a predator right off the bat. They're going to, you know, manipulate you and, and create this kind of a story before they get to that point. So um, making sure that they speak up before before it gets too late. Yeah, almost like they're trying to drive a wedge between you and the people that you otherwise trust and, and you know, trust their judgment and instinct on these things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And actually, um, I, I have a personal story to share if we have time for that. Please. Absolutely. Course, yeah. Yeah. Um, so these warning signs, I uh, just shoved it down my sister's throat. I have a little sister and I just shoved it on her throat growing up. And she, um, she was, I'm sure she was fed up with me. And um, my parents, you know, they were like, oh, you're, you're in this field. So it feels like this is more prevalent than you think that it is. Um, you know, it doesn't happen that often. And uh, so I had a, a moment where I felt finally satisfied where they understood that it is a prevalent issue. Um, so my dad was opening up a coffee shop in Vancouver in the main area. And um, while he was opening it up, he was with my mom and my sister and the store was closed, but they heard a knock on the door. So they open the door and there's this young girl there around 16 and she has a suitcase with her and she just looks disheveled and she's crying and she's on the phone and she says, oh, can I come inside? And so my dad said, yeah, of course you can come inside. And my sister's overhearing this girl's conversation on the phone. And um, again, because she knew the warning sign, she's listening to this girl and the girl is telling her mom, you know, like I, I want to come back home, but he has my passport and my ID and, um, you know, I, I I don't know what to do because he has my dog and I love my dog. I can't just leave the dog back there. And, um, you know, he's, he's, 
he's being like really abusive right now. And so she's just going on and on and on. My sister, just knowing these warning signs, um, texts me. And so essentially what ended up happening is that she was being human trafficked at the house right behind the coffee shop. And wow. um, we were able to catch on to these subtle signs that I think most people would have thought were just signs of domestic abuse. Yeah. We were able to recognize, no, it's actually a situation of human trafficking. So we all worked together. We got her to the airport. We spoke with airport security because um, she's actually originally from Toronto. And this guy had um, became her boyfriend when she was 14. And then she wanted her freedom. So he convinced her to fly over to Edmonton. And they lived in Edmonton until he forced her into um, selling her body. And then he moved her again to Vancouver. And she tried to escape and go back home. But because he had her passports, the, air the airports actually turned her away. And she had to go back with him. Um, so we were actually able to get her back home and um, get her to escape wow. her situation of human trafficking. So it does happen. <laughs> wow. wow. Literally next door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a crazy story. But I mean, it, it's, a, you know, obviously it's prevalent if it's just ha like happenstance. It's literally next door to your father's coffee shop. But like... Yeah really interesting to, to know what can be done in these situations and, and to catch those red flags. What would you suggest for not the children, not the children that may be the ones being abused, but the adults or other individuals in their lives that want to help? So you said you came in and, and helped things uh, along and got her got her on her way back to back home. How can we as bystanders, family members, friends, or just adults in general, how can we do that? How can we kind of get them in the right direction or catch those red flags and do something about it? Yeah, um, I think that human trafficking is a symptom. Like sexual exploitation is a symptom. And I think that uh, the best way to support uh, a victim or youth who's being susceptible to exploitation is to address what need it is um, that they're seeking. Because you have these predators, what they do is they make a false promise of meeting that need. And so if we can address what need it is for that kid and, and steer them more in the healthy direction, I think that's a huge way to prevent exploitation. Um, and, and another way is, you know, if you have concerns about the kid. I think one thing is just de-glamorizing their situation. Um, with a lot of kids, like when you present to kids and you give them scenarios that sound similar to their own, they start to realize that their own situation is not, not unique. And um, mm. that boyfriend or friend is not just being nice. This tends to be a pattern. And so if we can de-glamorize what their situation is with their relationship or friendship, um, and, and show them that it could lead to exploitation. I think that's also a, a huge, uh, huge thing too. Yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, lack of, I mean, lack of experience is something that they might, they're probably taking advantage of with the younger individuals, right? Like as a teenager, every teenager knows that you are the center of the universe and everything's coming around you. Right. So until people tell you otherwise, you think that, right. Yeah. And I think that's really important to note as someone that wants to help, you need to be aware of the fact that, you know, they're going off of their experiences and they might not have that many. Yeah, exactly. And then just healthy boundaries too, right? Um, I think a lot of kids don't know what healthy boundaries are. We don't have explicit conversations. And I'm sure, I don't know, if, I feel like you'd probably be able to think of some scenarios too, but I know there were scenarios when I was in high school um, that I thought were normal. And then I graduated and I look back now and I'm like, no, that was really weird. So um, mm -hmm. having more explicit conversations on what what are healthy relationships and what do they look like and um, what are exploitative type behaviors? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Tiana, or Kyle, you can go ahead. I have, I, I have two more questions, but you go ahead. Okay. I was just going to ask Tiana in that particular scenario. Now, obviously uh, they, your sister and your family contacted you and you've got a ton of expertise um, and you, you were able to navigate getting them to the airport and getting them home. If 
if somebody like myself overheard that conversation, what should I do as the bystander in that moment? What can I do to help break the cycle of human trafficking and exploitation? Great question. So with, with the story that I shared, I wasn't actually there to, to do anything um, in that, that initial moment. What happened was my sister, um, all she did was just have a conversation with her. My mom acted like a mom and we just, they just came together to see, okay, what, what needs does she have right now? She has the need to go back home. She's worried about, um, you know, her cell phone, the, the, the boyfriend had her cell phone and she had taken um, his cell phone because she was worried about being tracked. So those were the things that we immediately addressed. So for her, okay, she needs to go back home. Well, let's give her a ride to the airport um, or let's connect her with somebody where um, that we know can do that. Or she seems to be scared for her life. Okay, well, let's let her know that we can call the police and they can have an undercover um, police officer come and just meet her and provide her with supports and meet her wherever she's at. Um, you know, if it's that she's concerned that... Um, I don't know, her, her phone is being tracked. Like we, we actually gave her our phone to use in the meantime while she was talking to her mom. Um, and then and discovering like, who is it that you do trust? Do you have their contact information? Let's get in contact with them. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of taking those steps one by one and, and seeing really with that particular person what they need and asking them that. Because we can look at, um, you know, we can look at someone and, and assume how we can help them best, but they know what they need. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. Good question too, Kyle. I think like that's really important for us. If we ever to see, were to see it, we don't want to just freeze up and not have any idea yeah. what to do, right? We want to be able to help. We want to be able to do something about it. Um, there's a national human trafficking hotline as well that just got released a couple of years ago. And I think that's a really good place to, if you have the time to, um, to contact them as well. Do you know the number off by heart? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> good thing we all have a smartphone and a Google machine in our pockets at all times. <laughs> There's no jingle or anything to remember. Like you can't have like a jingle to remember it or anything. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we'll have to make one and we'll we'll, we'll, uh, publish it with this episode. Um, Uh, It's not the easiest number to remember. It's 1-833-900-1010. Okay. 1-833-900-1010. So Kyla, if you want to go ahead and... Can we write a jingle right now, Drake? (laughs) People, people don't pay me for my singing voice, Tiana. Come on. Uh, they barely, they don't even pay me for my thoughts and I'm a PhD student. So um, Tiana, I have two questions for you that were kind of off of what you've been talking about. I feel like uh, the sentiments are kind of there for not necessarily children per se, but I think it's something that's kind of become a cultural phenomenon and, and it's sugar babies and sugar daddies. Um, you know, talking oh, about, question. talking about like, the fact that you're giving people something and you're necessarily like you're they're they're in debt for it. I find sugar babies and sugar daddies and sugar mommies and sugar grandmommies, whatever you want to call it. I, I think that that's a really unique relationship where you're clearly asking, you're getting money from somebody with the expectation of doing something in return, but the might, they might be gray areas or muddiness within that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh man. Okay. So I'm going to be very unpopular, I think, when I say what I'm going to say. Um, I think, again, like we, there's a culture being created right now um, where we, we're trying to take equality um, and empowerment to an extreme where we want to normalize exploitative behaviors. Um, and I'm going to be very unpopular when I say this because it's, I think a lot of times sugar babies and um, this kind of trend right now is being seen and advertised as women's empowerment. Um, yeah. And I strongly disagree with that. Um, because when it comes down to it, when again, like 
we want to look at power imbalances, right? Like that's where exploitation comes to play. So um, in a sugar baby relationship, you have one party that is more marginalized. You have one party that is uh, a vulnerable population. They typically are female. They're typically younger. They typically don't have an education. They typically don't have the income and lifestyle that they need. Um, and so automatically there's that power imbalance. And what are you exchanging um, is, is yourself. So mm -hmm. I personally see that as exploitation. And it's almost like, you know, where's the line? Um, it's, you're talking about blurred lines and I agree with you. I think it's a slippery slope um, when we go yeah. down that route. And so that's that's where I stand um, with the sugar baby thing. And I think we're, we're starting to groom kids, honestly, um, into sexual exploitation with the sugar baby concept because most sugar babies go into it right after they graduate high school. Um, and so these girls already, before they graduated, have this idea in their head that that's a route that they can take is um, exploiting themselves. And just because they turn 18, you know, you... You, you're 17 one night, you sleep, you wake up the next morning, you're 18, and now all of a sudden it's not exploitation. Um, yeah. So that's that's my perspective on it. And I know that it's not uh, popular with some people, but. No, you know what? I, I appreciate that perspective. Uh, and and I, I agree. The sentiment has been, I mean, that the way it's been pushed, it seems, has been that it's, you know, sexual, female sexual empowerment that, you know, you might as well get paid for something that you're not getting paid for yeah. for using your body, right? And I, I see that. But I also completely agree with you that it is a slippery slope when you start putting X amount of money at, for certain like activities or certain things you're doing for somebody. And that power dynamic can be really, really tricky and confusing. Uh, and I don't know. I'm sure there are good experiences within that, but I'm sure as you like, as you're kind of alluding to, it can be leading to a lot more sexual exploitation and, and, and just really bad situations for individuals that are in that power dynamic. Um, I just, my personal philosophy, and again, this is like coming from being in the field of human trafficking, but I don't believe that there should be a price point on a human body. That's just my, um, just, just philosophically speaking and, and not to blame anybody who is in that situation at all. Um, but I have a higher standard for, for human beings being treated like human beings. And I don't believe that any human being should be treated by like property by, by anybody else. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I, I appreciate the, the perspective on that, Tiana. The last question I have, and this is, again, kind of like a social, um, you know, trend slash like just the way that things have been going within our, our culture. Um, the Me Too movement. Do you think that that's that's played that might play a role in the future of sexual exploitation and human trafficking? Or is it already playing a role in, you know, this conversation and this education kind of growing? That's a great question. Um, I definitely think it plays a role. I think the more again, like the more these issues come to light because sexual exploitation <clears throat> and human trafficking, there's just, they're, they're connected to social issues, right? Um, so I, I definitely think that um, it has helped. I think that what it helps more with is that peer exploitation piece more than it does the grooming into trafficking piece. Um, but I know that it does bring to light that making people more comfortable coming forward and, um, and speaking up and sharing their stories and feeling like they can be heard. Because I think a lot of victims uh, don't share their stories because they don't feel like they can be heard or, or that they'll be believed. So, Tiana, we've covered a lot of ground here. Uh, and before we kind of always transition towards the end of our show, we like to ask our, our guests if they've got any really interesting myths or misconceptions. You've come in packing a lot of heat with some really interesting numbers. Um, do you have more of those in the bag that you'd be willing to share with us that you that you find are, are really like shocking? Yeah, I'm trying to 
think again, it, it's difficult because it's it's hard to have actual like numbers. Um, but I think something that is interesting uh, is that with human trafficking in Canada, over ninety percent of victims are Canadian, and over ninety percent of the traffickers are Canadian as well. So it's actually it's a Canadian issue. It's done by Canadians to Canadians. It's not so much of the um, taken type storyline mm-hmm. that that we see. Um, and, and I think yeah. another piece also is that we tend to think of predators as being that, again, that 60-year-old person. Uh, and not to say that that does not exist. It definitely does. But the average age of a predator, an exploiter in Canada is only 25. Um, so they do, they, they range from 13 to 32 years old. Statistically, that's what we're seeing. So a uh, predator can be anyone. And then it's more about defining that person by what they're doing so much as uh, more than what, what they look like. So Absolutely. Wow. That's really interesting. Um, Tiana, this has been awesome. This has been really informative. And I'm sure that our listeners have really enjoyed learning more about something that's never talked about, really. I mean, I haven't had any, I haven't had a conversation with this really. Like, I'll never have a conversation as this in depth on this topic, but it's it's been really wonderful. Um, Even though the topic's quite heavy, and we acknowledge that it's been heavy. um, It's really informative, really, really impactful stuff that you're doing. We talked a lot about females being um, the prey in these situations. I'm curious if this is an issue. Uh, I, I know that sexual assault, there's a lot of, um, when it comes to sexual assault literature, uh, people of minority or LGBTQ groups are often victims. Is that the case as well within this that, that you're aware of? Yeah, great. Um, great point. Yeah. So when we talk about sexual expectation, a lot of the grooming um, when it comes to the boyfriending process of traffickers is female focus with with females being most victims, but it definitely happens to the LGBTQ community and also to boys as well. It just looks different. Um, So typically what we see with LGBTQ community um, and with boys is more of the being connected to someone who's acting like like a friend or some kind of like a father figure, for example. And uh, it's more about exploitation on the street level. So um, what we see with boys, for example, is something called gay for pay. So a lot of the boys um, will be exchanging sexual acts just for their basic needs, um, including shelter, for example, and they have somebody that's older that they look up to that's kind of showing them the ropes. And we tend to see that same thing with LGBTQ community where, um, you know, these these teens, they definitely, a lot of them have not felt that support at home. And they're looking for a place to call home, um, but they don't have the money to back it up. And unfortunately, a lot of these teens tend to run away from home. And so again, they connect with someone who's a little bit older, who's trying to show them the ropes of how to be on the streets and, um, and they exchange sexual acts for basic necessities. Um, mm. And then also we see with boys specifically is where we see a rise in sex extortion. Um, so I think that that's a misconception. A lot of times we think it's female, but we are seeing there was an 89% increase in sex extortion of boys within a span of two years um, because we, we see that, a certain type of predator just um, preying on boys as well. So it's not just a female issue. It just looks different depending on what type of sexual exploitation you're looking at. We don't want to obviously make it seem like it's just a female, uh, females that are being victims. Yeah. And I think that like, it's uh, obviously, we talked about a lot about power dynamics today as well. Right. And, and, you know, being a female with a male predator is a power dynamic in itself. Uh, But being a male, there's that machoism where we think that, you know, based on the masculine scripts that they can't be, they can't be prey, they can't be victims. And that's obviously not the case. Yeah, absolutely. This has been really, really informative, Tiana. Thank you so much. Yeah.
Tiana, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Um, how can our audience get in touch with you, reach out to you and learn more about uh, all the fantastic work that uh, C is doing? Yeah, the best place to go to is our website, sexualexploitationeducation.com. Um, it has all of our media on there. We have resources on there and some facts about the issue. And I actually keep it updated with up-to-date uh, stories as well on exploitation. So, yeah. Awesome. And you're, and you're active on Instagram. I know this because we talk through Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Instagram <laughs> is the main platform that I'm the most active on. So. All okay, right. Yeah. And you can, you can find her on sexual exploitation education on Instagram as well. Perfect. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jenna. With that, we'll wrap up another episode of Brain Buzz. You can follow and review uh, Brain Buzz on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to our newsletter at brainbuzzpod.com. And join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Brain Buzz Pod. Until next time, cheers. Thanks.